Welcome back to the KPL Podcast. I am your host, Jagisha. Well, listeners, what does World War I, libraries, librarians, and the Naval Academy have in common? Listen to the interview with Addison Armstrong and find out. She is here to tell us about her new novel, The War Librarian. And then for our recommendation section, fellow librarian Krista is back with recommendations about librarians and libraries. You know how much we love books that are all about us. Stay tuned for a great episode. Our guest today is historical fiction author Addison Armstrong, here to talk about her new novel, The War Librarian. She wrote her debut novel, The Light of Luna Park, as a junior studying elementary education at Vanderbilt University. She now teaches third grade English language learners in Nashville while continuing to write. Welcome to the KPL podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Well, so just to jump right in, uh, give us the uh, synopsis for The War Librarian. Of course. So it's a dual timeline historical fiction. And the first timeline is 1918 France. Emmeline Balakin is this very timid, shy, bookish person who works at the dead letter office and ends up sort of through chance, maybe through fate. Um, a letter comes through her desk that is from someone she knows from her past. And she's not supposed to open it. You know, she's supposed to just get it where it's intended to go. Uh, but she does. And that sends her to France where she becomes a hospital librarian at a base hospital um, near the front lines. And she ends up battling censorship and racism and sexism at the camp um, and also getting embroiled in a lot more than she bargained for. And then there's 1976, Kathleen Carr, who is inspired by her grandmother, Nellie, who was a motor corps driver in World War I. Um, and she is in the first co-ed class at the U.S. Naval Academy in 1976. Um, and of course, that's not easy <laughs> uh, for any of the women, but especially for Kathleen, as she uncovers secrets from her past that, you know, sort of threaten her, her place at the Academy. Very nice. I always, uh, I love how two timelines are brought together in historical fiction novels. I feel like it's been this new trend with, with the novels. Mm -hmm. And so I just love that there's a past and then the present and how the two women come together. Yes, I always love reading those, which is how I ended up writing them. So I, I you know, as a librarian, I got to ask, what kind of research did you do for this? I imagine there was so much because there's, uh, you know, World War One and also the Naval Academy. Yeah, absolutely. So for the World War One portion, I used a lot of just American Library Association sources. They were the ones that sort of spearheaded this. Um, the Library War Service was directed by Herbert Putnam, who was the librarian of Congress at the time, um, which is always just a fun fact because, you know, my books are published by Putnam. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it was the American Library Association that ran it. And so they, you know, raised $5 million in donations. They distributed 10 million books. Like they did all these incredible things. And so I looked at a lot of their meeting notes, their programs, their bulletins, um, their posters. They have scrapbooks, albums of photos. Um, so that was the majority. And, I, you know, those things are mostly available online from library archives. Mm -hmm. um, and then for the 1976 timeline, my Biggest help was a book by uh, Sharon Hanley Disher called First Class. And she was actually in that first class of women at the Naval Academy. 
And the book she wrote is technically fiction. Um, it takes two characters, um, you know, through the four years, but they were composites of different experiences that um, Disher, you know, knew of from the Naval Academy. So though the book is fiction, there was a lot of real life. There were a lot of examples of the real abuse and assault and mm-hmm. everything that they experienced. And that's that's where I got a lot of the historical background there. Um, and then it was really fun. I actually got to go visit the Naval Academy too and do a tour. Oh, um, nice. Yes. And our my tour guide just happened to be he graduated in 1976, so just before the first women entered. So it was interesting because he was the last class that never overlapped with the women, and he just had an interesting perspective on it. I can imagine. <laughs> so what inspired the story and the two characters? When I first stumbled across the Library of War Service, I just thought it was so fascinating. You know, obviously, as a book lover and a writer, like that just really jumped out at me. And also because, you know, when we talk about World War One and women, we usually talk about nursing. Mm-hmm. I had never heard of this librarian aspect. So that just kind of sucked me in at first. And then as I continued to research it, I became obsessed with this like weird paradox because like I said, they raised $5 million. They distributed 10 million books. You know, they mobilized the public people. It was this big cause. It was like, every soldier should have a book. Um, you know, clearly they believed in the power of words and books, you know, they wanted them for moral support, they wanted them for job training, for language, you know, they just valued it so much. But at the same time, <laughs> they banned several books. I found a list of books that soldiers were not allowed to access, that librarians were not allowed to give soldiers, and in fact, were supposed to burn if they came across them. Um, And some of them weren't particularly surprising. You know, obviously we were fighting against Germany and some of them were like German nationalist texts or pro-German texts. Um, Some of them were about socialism or, you know, the Russian revolution. Uh, Some of them were just about pacifism. So the weirdest one, you know, the weirdest band book to me was the one that was a World War I memoir written by a World War I soldier that was forbidden to be read by World War I soldiers because they might see how horrible war was as if they didn't already know. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were also banned texts about America and its flaws. <laughs> there was an open letter to Woodrow Wilson by W.E.B. Du Bois was uh, banned because it talked about racism in America and lynching and the government's lack of action preventing such. So that just really was jarring. <laughs> you know, looking at these numbers and how much they did to support literacy and support libraries overseas and in um in training camps in the US, and then how they were instructing people to burn these certain books that didn't fit with the narrative they wanted to portray. So that's where I got that story. I thought, Mm -hmm. you know, what if this librarian doesn't want to do that? What if she Mm -hmm. thinks these are important voices? And then the 1976, it's kind of a little bit harder to explain because, you know, you don't wanna wanna expose how they connect and all that. Oh yeah, yeah. no spoilers. um, Yeah, but there's, you know, an interesting connection of, okay, it's a, it's a woman in a man's world. Again, 60 years later, you'd think things have changed, but they haven't as much as, as you expect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's another, another issue of free speech that comes up in 1976. So that's kind of how they connect. Mm-hmm. That is fascinating. So as you're doing this research, did you, I, I, you said the list was surprising. Was there anything else you found very surprising that you hadn't expected? 
I mean, just the whole existence of this, you know, library war service, I'd never heard of it. I was mm -hmm. just shocked by that because it was such a huge undertaking. I mean, kids would go door to door collecting books to take to the library to donate overseas. Like the whole country was involved in this and it wasn't something that I'd heard of. Um, in my research, I also came across librarians, uh, regular, you know, public librarians who were fired for keeping German books on the shelves or who were fired for um, not purchasing war bonds. Um, so that you know, I sort of incorporated some of that in there. That was shocking to me, um, especially, you know, because this was supposed to be a war for democracy, right? You know, that's how it was sort of presented to the U.S. Um, but then in the U.S., that democracy was sort of falling apart um, mm -hmm. during the war. And then I was just surprised by all of the horrors and abuses that the women faced in 1976. And, you know, I shouldn't have been because a lot of them aren't different now mm -hmm. um but just reading how widespread and accepted they were and how the powers that be did nothing to protect anyone was just shocking yeah yeah that i could i could i could see that i remember watching uh, the first time i watched a television show mad men and was just blown mm. away by the misogyny on the show i think i couldn't even right. watch the rest of it just seriously yeah it's just painful at some point mm -hmm. absolutely Tell us a little bit about your writing process. Do you start with this idea first or do you have characters that you start with? It kind of depends. Um, it's kind of, you know, the idea usually has like some sort of question at its center, right? Like what fascinated me about the war librarians was, okay, they're there providing books, but they're not allowed to provide certain books. So in the light of Luna Park, the sort of central question is, you know, this man, Dr. Martin Cooney, who was real, he saved a bunch of babies' lives, premature babies, by taking them to his incubator ward at Coney Island and charging people to come gawk at them. You know, it was basically a freak show and it saved thousands of lives. And he was lying the whole time. He claimed to be a doctor. He wasn't. He claimed to have training. He didn't. Um, so the sort of thorny question is, you know, did he have the right to do that? Did he do the right thing um, or not? And so that's where the character came from. Althea is a nurse who just like Dr. Cooney does the wrong thing. She takes a baby from the hospital against its parents' wishes for the right reasons to save its life. Um, and then in the war librarian, it's the same thing. You know, I took that idea that, you know, these librarians love the books, they have to burn the books, you know, um, it's a war for democracy, but they don't have free speech. And I put Emmeline in there and said, you know, what would this timid bookish woman do if she was faced with something that she truly didn't? believe was right. Mm -hmm. um, so it's kind of the the history and the character sort of balled into one. Um, and the way that I write them is I do one timeline at a time mm -hmm. because I found, um, I wrote a manuscript before the light of Luna Park that just wasn't gaining any traction, you know, no agents were biting. And a lot of them were saying the first timeline is awesome. The second timeline doesn't feel like it has enough of an arc or doesn't feel like the stakes are high enough or it was always a problem with that second timeline. And I'd written it chronologically, like chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. So The Light of Luna Park, I did it differently. I wrote all of Althea's story in 1926 and then all of Stella's story in 1950, 1951 to make sure they could both stand alone. They both had a complete arc. And I did the same thing for the war librarian. So I think my the amount that I outline versus just make it up as I go along, all that varies. But what I have learned I do have to do is keep those timelines separate. Right. Now, do you plot out everything or do you still pants uh, or just write uh, it? 
Luna Park was definitely pantsed. Mm -hmm. um, the war librarian was on a contract, you know, I was contracted to write it. And so I had to provide them an outline in advance. Mm -hmm. So technically I outlined a lot of that changed. <laughs> I, it, it's sort of an in-between, you know, I try to outline it. I know the big, you know, broad strokes, this will happen in the beginning. This is how it's going to end. Um, these two things will happen in between and I kind of make it up from there. <laughs> Absolutely. I can't, uh, yeah, I can imagine just, you know, creating something and then like, you know, I think your, your muse or your, you know, just that whatever that creative process is that probably changes things. <laughs> Right. It's just no fun to write, <laughs> write it according to an outline. You kind of got to be able to follow it where it goes. Absolutely. So what do you hope readers take away from your book? Ooh, that's a good question. So definitely the issue of censorship, you know, and book banning and all of that is super prevalent right now. Um, and so I think, you know, what they kind of come to in the book is that things don't go away by ignoring them, right? You know, they're even, they're problematic elements. They're things that you don't want to read about. They're things that make you look bad or make your country look bad, but you have to read them to address them and, you know, dissect them and discuss them. And I think what I came to realize while I was doing my research was that this seeming, you know, contradiction that they loved these books and that they banned these books um, actually wasn't a contradiction at all. It made a lot of sense because both came from the idea that books are so powerful. Mm -hmm. You know, books have the power to change these soldiers' lives. We need to provide them. Books have the power to change these soldiers' minds. We have to limit them. Mm -hmm. And so I think that just the power of words, whether it's our voices at a protest, whether it's in writing, whether it's a book, our voices are so, so important and words are so, so powerful. Mm -hmm. um, I think that that's what I want people to get. Yeah, and that's a very strong message, you know, as a librarian, <laughs> I totally <laughs> agree. <laughs> so what are you working on now? Is there anything you can share with us about your next book? Um, not a whole lot, but it is another dual timeline, um, historical and closer to modern day again. So uh, 1930s, 40s and 1990s. Um, oh, okay. My lips are sealed. <laughs> Ooh, well, I'm already excited as to how those two interconnect. <laughs> and then a question we always ask all of our guests is, what are you reading and what do you recommend we read? I just finished The Fountains of Silence, um, which was really good about the um, Franco's rule in Spain. Mm -hmm. So after the Spanish Civil War, that uh, was incredible. Um, what do I recommend? Oof. I love Kate Quinn, mm -hmm. uh, Rose Code, the Alice Network, all of those. Anything by Jodi Picoult has always been my favorite. Uh, Fiona Davis, I know you had her on the podcast. <laughs> She's the best. Mm -hmm. And Diane Chamberlain. I love Diane Chamberlain. Oh, nice. Nice choice. It's a nice selection there. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think so. All right, so to wrap up, our guest today is Addison Armstrong, and her novel, The War Librarian, is available right here at the Kirkwood Public Library and wherever inspiring historical books are sold. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you. I loved being here. Hello, listeners. Well, we are in the recommendations segment of our podcast episode this week. And I have with me fellow librarian, Krista, and we are gonna talk about uh, more books about libraries. 
If you recall a few weeks ago when we talked to Ava Yercek about the, ooh, the title is always catches me. It's the Department of Rare Books and Special Collections. And it's still one of my favorite books about libraries that I've read in a long time and uh, would encourage everybody to go back and listen to that episode and to read the book, of course, because it's awesome. It is. It is constantly checked out that I actually haven't been able to get a hold of the book. So it is popular at our library. And I mean, all library books are popular. There's so many out there. And uh, so that tells me that there's definitely an audience that wants to read books set in libraries. It, it was funny because when we talked before, I told you how I had to really cut back my list so it wouldn't be, you know, a couple of hours worth of talking. So I'm glad that I got invited back so I can give you some more titles. Oh, absolutely. So would you like to go first and give us uh, your first recommendation? Yes, I am going to talk about some graphic novels. There was a set, a volume one and a volume two, Rex Libris. The first one is Rex Libris, I, Librarian. And the second one is Rex Libris, Book of Monsters, which you can tell just by those titles. They're pretty awesome. There's a lot of librarians fighting monsters in the second one. And the first one, he's uh, running around and making the world safe for libraries. One of the quotes that I took out from the uh, second book when they're fighting the monsters, Rex says to one of the other characters, use your librarian training and concentrate, <laughs> which uh, struck me as great since I'm not sure I really learned that in library school, but still it was very action-packed librarian. A couple of uh, books that I would strongly recommend. They do not take too much uh, time to read. They're fairly short and they're graphic novels. So how can you beat that? Oh, absolutely. You know, it kind of reminds me of that TV show or, or the set of movies that starred Noah, Noah Wiley and the librarian. I think it was called The Librarian and kind of makes me think of that. Yes, yes. And I think I made it through at least half of one of those movies because I really did like Noah Wiley, but you know, the stories were, you know, a little bit difficult. Although he managed, even though to not be in great shape, as he said in the beginning, to pull everything off during the movie, as I recall. So <laughs> Very realistic. <laughs> he used his librarian training. <laughs> yes, yes. Jagisha and I are constantly doing very amazing feats of physical strength here in the library. Um, just part of our training. Oh, yeah, of course. You know, we're expert sword fighters. and <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yes. <laughs> Defending all that sort of thing. Yeah, it's amazing. The amount of fighting you have to do in library school. So, well, I'm going to switch gears a little bit away from graphic novels and talk about the movie, The Public, which was, I believe, directed by Emilio Estevez. I can't remember if he's also the screenwriter. And it also he also starred in it. And it starred Christian Slater, Alec Baldwin. It was set in the Cincinnati Public Library. And this was made around 2019. And this was a great movie. I obviously seeing movies about librarians is always great to, for me, but... It really seemed, it depicted some of the current issues that we face. And so the story is that it is very cold. It's winter. It's set in winter time in Cincinnati. And the, the library is not a shelter for extreme cold. So, and there's not enough shelters. And so the homeless protests, there are several homeless that come to that library uh, and, you know, are hanging out during the day, but they protest and decide to have a sit-in and basically are locked themselves in this library and they get help from Emilio Estevez's character Nick and I always find it funny that there's a lot of librarians named Nick out there 
we have three in our library. But uh, anyway, Nick decides to help them out and and uh, the police are trying to get them out and Alec Baldwin and Christian Slater are the police. There's it's it's funny, but it, it does hit on several issues that are important. It's uh, I have, of course, had every intention of watching that movie in 2019 and yet still have not got around to it. But now that you've made that recommendation, I'm going to make sure I get that done. Yeah, yeah. And we have it here in the library, so you can definitely uh, get it. Check it out. That sounds good. Well, I'm going to touch back on the graphic novels one more time and talk about Book Hunter by Jason Shiga. It also is a fantastic book about a very active librarian, sort of like the library SWAT team who goes out and tries to get the uh, books back that people have not returned. It's a, it has a special agent, Special Agent Bay, and their job is to protect and serve the books of the public library. So the assignment he gets in this particular graphic novel is locating a rare Bible that has been replaced with a replica. So he has to go and search for this item that has disappeared from the library. Also, there are little things in there about, oh, having problems with a certain book that gets stolen over and over again. Just replace that copy with one that has a radioactive tracing in it, you know, a tracer, and then, you know, you can follow that trace once that book is stolen, stuff like that. Things that librarians dream about all the time, making sure that we can protect our books. It was very, very fun to read and also short and sweet, 144 pages on a graphic novel, but kind of goes along with Rex Libris and now Book Hunter with Agent Bay is my second recommendation. Oh, that sounds like a lot of fun. Huh. I, I could see that, you know, librarians becoming uh, <laughs> hunters and looking, tracking down books and getting, collecting fines, even though we don't charge fines anymore. <laughs> right. And I don't think the fines were the key to that either. It was mostly the just getting the books back, but it also has a lot of action shots in it where he's, you know, running and chasing and jumping over things and all that stuff. So also very realistic depiction of what we do every day in the library. Yes, absolutely. I read The Book Woman of Troublesome Creek a few years ago, and there's actually a sequel that just came out, and the book is by uh, Kim Michelle Richardson. And this actually depicts libraries riding horses to deliver books, because these mm -hmm. are the pack horse librarians that the book is, is about. And yeah, they're dealing with wildlife, like rattlesnakes, and landslides, and flooding, and all of that. And I thought, Wow, I don't think I can handle any of that. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the podcast when you talked to her, it was very, mm -hmm. uh, very fascinating. And I think there are, in some countries, I think in like Central and South America, there are still libraries that books get delivered on pack animals and stuff like that. So, oh, yeah, even, absolutely. Even though that's a historical fiction, I mean, right? I mean, that's a historical. It is a historical fiction, but the Pack Horse librarians were uh, definitely a real thing that uh, President Roosevelt had said about trying to bring books into that, uh, the Appalachia area. Right. Now, now I remember that. Yeah, yeah. I think that that is also happening present day in some other countries. But that, yeah, no, that was one of the fascinating podcasts that I was like learning a lot about things that I had no idea that happened in the United States. So that's totally cool. Yes. Well, and there is, as you're saying, in Colombia, there's something called the Biblio Borough, and they have boroughs who, who are used as, um, they deliver the uh, books. 
Yeah, yeah, maybe that's what we need. Uh, we don't really have a very big space to keep a, an animal though, pack animal. I mean, we have that big front lawn, just need a little fence. <laughs> <laughs> they can hang out there, eat the grass, you know? So we yeah, yeah, know. people would love that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> It's funny how both of our conversations now have just turned to weird animal things. Last time we were talking about rabbits and, you know, animal uh, library pets. So. so I think this is a sign we might need that cat. Yeah, we might need something. So my third one then, which is really kind of a fourth one because Rex Libris is two volumes. I would like to talk about nonfiction, memoir, The World's Strongest Librarian, and memoir of Tourette's Faith, Strength, and the Power of Family. Um, and this is a fellow librarian. He works at Salt Lake City uh, Public Library, Josh Hangard. I actually saw him speak at an ALA conference and uh, it was pretty amazing. He is a very tall guy, six foot seven, who um, has Tourette's syndrome. And it seems like that is the very opposite thing to become a librarian, but um, he fell in love with libraries when he read Charlotte's Web as a child, and this memoir is just very heartwarming. It's really amazing, and it shows him overcoming a lot of kind of interesting problems and becoming a very popular librarian in the main uh, library at Salt Lake City Public Library. His other thing that he does is lift weights, and so that's where the world's strongest librarian part comes from. As he said in his speech, he hasn't really tested it against his strength against every librarian, but he is pretty obviously one of the very strongest. <laughs> <laughs> and so there was, he had a website for a time, and I don't think it's out there anymore, where he posts his workouts and stuff like that. And, you know, like each and every day, these several hundred push-ups he did and everything. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's stronger than I am. So I'm not going to really... Uh, any librarian that I've ever known has not been in that way. Although, if you put him up against Rex Libris and the book Hunter, I don't know, maybe this is really the theme of my recommendations here. Very strong and powerful librarians. Yeah, I mean, I think we all try to work out and, and stay healthy, but yeah, I can't, uh, I can't say that I would do very well against our <laughs> librarian. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he's such a tall guy, too. So he's, I mean, he's just, He's, he's got all it takes to really be the strongest, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, weightlifting and all that stuff helped him a lot with his Tourette's. And then, you know, being in the library and being in a quiet space seems like uh, the opposite of what he should be doing. But he's uh, very successful. And he also obviously writes books. So, yeah, sounds good. So, yeah, we've got some graphic novels, a movie, nonfiction. Well, I'm going to throw in a thriller. Uh, the title is The Woman in the Library, and this is currently a very popular hot read here at the library. It is by Sulari Gentle, or Gentile, I'm not sure exactly the pronunciation there. This is very interesting. So it is set in the Boston Public Library in the reading room, and a woman screams, and they lock down the library, basically, and the security is telling everyone to stay put while they investigate what's going on. And four people sit down at a table and they start talking to each other and learning about each other. And one of them is possibly a murderer. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, so uh, there's a lot. I'm afraid of giving away spoilers. I won't go too deep into it. But all the characters have something to hide. And they're one's a writer trying to just write their novel. And 
they all, it's, you don't know till the end what's going on. There's just, there's a lot of twists. One of the things I do, this author has done really well is throw in some twists that you don't see coming. And I'm one of these people who's kind of becomes the armchair detective trying to figure it out before. Yeah, I was not able to figure it out. (laughs) So that sounds very Agatha Christie-like in the way that, you know, you always get some sort of idea who might be and then it's never the person that you think Mm -hmm. Yeah, a little bit like Riley Sager, too. He's very good at throwing uh, twists yeah. in his novels. So, yep. Well, that and the people with the backgrounds, you know, that you, you start learning more about and all unexpected things. Like, who would have ever thought? That that sounds very, very much like a thriller. It is. It is. And it's just a lot of fun. It's fast paced. So you'll get, if you're looking for something, just to, like a quick escape to read in a few hours. And this is a good one for you. See, now I want you to get the whole thing away for, to me. So um, when I'm reading it, I'll know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> then there's no fun. <laughs> it takes away. No, I'm fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to check that one out. I can do that tonight, maybe. Yes, yes. I bet there's a copy down there on, the, on our Hot Reads tables. Very good. Well, listeners, this is part two of our list of books about libraries. We still have dozens more that we could talk about and also are there ones that we haven't mentioned that you want to tell us about feel free to write to us at our email address which is podcast at kirkwoodpubliclibrary.org we would love to hear from you and we are always on the hunt for books about libraries or librarians and that's our show this week thank you so much for listening come back next week when we talk to author eleanor brown about her book any other family. I leave you now with a quote from Neil Gaiman. Google can bring you back 100,000 answers. A librarian can bring you back the right one. We'll see you next time.